Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Okay, what's core and what's sort of valuable to my own experience? Like what is the thing that resonates with me most and how do we tap into that? And, and that's where one finds a calling. Like if you can sort of at least allow for a quiet to sort of sit in and think really about what you want to do, not just like what you want to have. I think that's when you can kind of tap into it. The ubiquity of media, the ubiquity of content, uh, the access to just the, again, the imagery of the portrayal of person's lives, these things that everybody seeks to be aspirational, it's confusing. And I think People just see that and they're like, I want that without really understanding why they want it, nor how they can go about getting it. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Lex, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, it's really not at all. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making time. I'm glad we finally get to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. So you and I met via our mutual friend, Mike Del Ponte, uh, who uh, was a former guest here on uh, The Unmistakable Creative as well. And he sent me a whole list of people and your story really stood out to me. So rather than me giving away, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your background, your story, your journey, and how that has led you to everything that you're up to in the world today? I'll do that uh, as concisely as possible. <laughs> uh, uh, my name is Arison Lex Mestrovic. I'm an artist uh, based here in New York, uh, originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina. I moved to the States when I was, I was a kid uh, with my family down to South Florida, my, Miami area. Um, I've been here in New York for a number of years. I went to school at Pratt um, and studied there and uh, spent some time living in Japan. But I work across a couple different genres. Um, you know, artist is sort of, like an umbrella moniker, I would suppose. But, you know, I, I've, I've been able to, and fortunate enough to kind of apply my craft across uh, fashion and music, um, which is our two big loves of mine as well, um, as well as sort of um, kind of dabbling with technology and sort of the intersection of art and tech, um, which is something I'm, I'm tremendously interested in. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing to kind of be able to do something that you love. It's not without its headaches and and heartaches at time, but um, I'm, I'm really fortunate to, to kind of be able to do what I do. Hmm. Well, you know, you having heard some of my interviews probably know that what I want to look at really is the formative experiences of your life that ultimately kind of sent you down this trajectory and down this path 
like growing up people, influences, mm -hmm. experiences that made you make the choices that you did? Right. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, as a, as an artist, it's for some people, I think it becomes, it can be sort of a professional pursuit for others. It's, it's very much a calling, uh, which I, I, I believe that's a word you've used quite a bit. Um, and it's something that I just recently had been writing about where, you know, I think to pursue this idea of, of being a creative, being a professional creative, being an artist, it's, it's a risky endeavor. It's, it's, it's risky business for sure. And it's, it's with, uh, it's definitely not without its, um, its downfalls and, and sort of like real problems uh, that, that come up and arise. Um, and, you know, success isn't promised even with hard work and talent. Um, but this idea of calling, I mean, for me as a kid, I just grew up like with a box of crayons and, uh, you know, just always kind of drawing different things around me. And, um, you know, I come from a very humble background. I'm a uh, first generation immigrant. I immigrated to this country from Latin America, from Argentina. Uh, my parents are working class folks. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate that my father uh, sort of was a, a hobby artist himself. He really spent a lot of time just like doodling and sketching. And uh, I think he saw that in me and, and he came from a, a very sort of impoverished background in Latin America and South America and uh, really never went to school or anything and uh, just had to kind of work his way to, to make his way to this country and provide for his family, for, for me. And um, But he saw something and I think allowed me to pursue it. And, uh, from an early age, when I got to the States, you know, I, I went to public school and private school for uh, a Catholic school. I grew up Catholic as well. Um, as a, as a good Argentine Latino would, uh, seeing as the Pope is also from, from Argentina at this, this point in time. Um, but yeah, no, he was, was supportive and, uh, you know, I would, instead of going to like a traditional summer camp as a kid or something like I got to go to uh, like an art camp where there's this little place in Florida, a Creole day art uh, camp to where they, you could send your kid like on the off hours to kind of send them away for, for a few hours in the summer. Um, and I would go and, and take a few different courses from everything from like pottery and uh, painting and like uh, just all kinds of kind of arts and crafts projects. Um, and as well as calligraphy at that point, that's a, a place a little bit later on, a few years later down the road, that's a place where I sort of first met that aspect, which has become kind of core and central to a lot of my process in kind of conceptually in my work as well, this idea of language, um, which for me, kind of coming from a multicultural background, that's something that's very interesting and conceptually engaging for me. Um, so, you know, I was fortunate to come from this nurturing background uh, albeit humble and, and, you know, not having much to work with, but like, you know, at least that creativity was there. That was something that allowed me to, uh, I think find an identity. Um, and that was, you know, it's been something that's I've carried with me all along this idea that without art, I wouldn't really know who I, who I am. I think, uh, I, I can't sort of define my own definition of, of who, Lexes without um, this idea that that there's some sort of aspect of creativity to it. Hmm. You think everybody has uh, a calling? Hundred percent. Yeah. Sorry, just one second. Um, but yeah, so you know that's that's 
I think something that, uh, that definitely was, was formative for me. I think that that experience of being able to just have that support, um, it, with, with sort of a, a very sort of heavy tinge of, uh, uh, reality always put towards it, um, in terms of just, you know, the background and, and how my parents in their worldview, uh, is, is very much different than mine just because of the, you know, I think the experiences afforded to them are, are much different than, than mine growing up here in sort of a modern country, uh, which are much with a much more sort of global outlook. I think for them, you know, I've, they, you know, maybe been to a handful of country. I've been to many, many more and, uh, have been really fortunate to kind of carry on or, you know, it, it, it always gives me sort of, I think, great, uh, just an honor to kind of be, uh, a worldview for them, for my, for my mom and dad's where like, I can tell them and, you know, they'll come over to, to my place and like, they'll be like, ah, hijo, like, yo, what, like, can we see your pictures from like your travels? And I'll show them and I'll talk to them about what I'm working on. Um, and it's great to have that kind of closeness and, you know, they've not always understood the projects and stuff that I'm working on. Like I can tell them, Hey, I just did this project for Kanye West. And they're like, who's Kanye West. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's something that keeps you very grounded because you're like, ah, oh, you can be working with these people. And like, they, you know, like your folks, are the people that matter the most, uh, they might not know about it, but like at the same time, it's like, it, it definitely puts things in perspective. Hmm. Well, if everybody has a calling, why do you think that so many people ignore it or avoid it? You know, I think we, it, there's a few different reasons, I, uh, and I, I see them as being very valid. Um, I think environment and just sort of this uh, this level of emotional support, which I think is key. Um, you know, we we do live in, in a sense. Uh, I, there's been a lot of articles written about kind of this idea of um, we're living in sort of the generation of exceptionalism, where I think kids growing up are, are taught that they can do anything and be anything, and while that has its merits, I think it's also dangerous because I think without qualification, it might empower somebody to, well, not, I wouldn't say empower is the right word, but it might sort of, uh, I, I guess, set somebody off on the trajectory to where it's like, well, you know, I'm deserving of whatever I, I wish to make happen or, or have happened for my life. But that's not always the case. And I think when people first taste those inklings of failure or when hardships kind of arise, those are things that are off-putting to folks that are kind of brought up to think that like, well, anything is possible. And there are, you know, it's, uh, you know, every road to success is paved with like, you know, bricks of failures. And um, that's something that rings so true. And I think for those that, that do have a calling, I think, I don't know, there might be an aversion um, to really embracing the hardship that that path might present or that, that it might sort of, bring forth. And, you know, I think, um, it really kind of depends on one's background. And, and, you know, for me, I, I think about this every day to where I, I was just reading this article in, uh, on courts about, uh, sort of there, there's not really a gene for entrepreneurship. I think we exist in, an, in a society where entrepreneurship is lauded and it's something that is, I wouldn't say deified, but definitely uh, celebrated to an extent, but without really knowing, I think the backgrounds and the kind of the, uh, let's say the trajectories of the persons that are actually succeeding. A lot of these folks have come from uh, not affluence, but let's say that they'll come from 
uh, a place to where they'll have like a security or like a safety net to where if they risk everything, like they're still not going to be out on the street. But like, you know, for me uh, and, and for my family, like uh, one misstep would could mean, a, you know, like a very different sort of lifestyle very quickly. And that's something that's always been very sobering. Uh, and it's, it's something that's, I think, driven me to try and work that much harder and also just try to be a better person because, you know, I feel that, um, uh, as, as Mike Del Ponte had said, you know, I think it is about kind of maintaining this uh, humility about what you're doing um, and being sincere about that pursuit where, you know, I think uh, in, in one of your previous shows, you were talking about, uh, you know, calling and, and, you know, for some that, that calling or what they wish their, their trajectory would be, it would be to go out and make a bunch of money. And uh, I mean, for me, I think that's, that's important as well. It's important to be able to provide for the people in your life. And for me, I'd love to be able to provide for my family and the family that I wish to have. And um, art is one of the hardest ways to do that. I think, I think it's, it's the illogical decision in many senses where, you know, this, as you had mentioned before, a linear path is something that I think is more quote unquote guaranteed. And, and I can't tell you like, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have my work shown at the MoMA and, you know, winning prizes and being uh, awarded as one of the top 40 alumni from Pratt, like a top design school, art school in the country. And to this day, my parents are like, hijo, like, you know, if, if it doesn't go well for you, like you can always come home and like, go get your business degree. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're always like, you know, you should just take a business class at night. You know, just, it's, you're never too late. And, and it's again, humbling. And, and it's, it's that generation's viewpoint of how things work. And that's completely valid. I think it's, I think it has a place, uh, in our world today, even though that we talk about that everybody is their own personal brand and that like social media is empowering everybody to kind of be their own entrepreneur and like sort of shape and, uh, sort of image the life that they wish to be and, and, and sort of live. But that's a dangerous thing because, uh, I think once, once you go down that route, it's, it's, it only serves to put focus on those that can bring real substantive value and real, I think, uh, a real sort of clear and concise and focused language and communication to whatever it is they're trying to do, whether it would be business, whether it would be art, whether it would be performing and music, whether it would be sort of humanitarian work. Um, you know, I think, I think the idea that anybody can do anything, it's, it's a dangerous thought for sure. Wow. Uh, literally interesting uh, things that come <laughs> up for me when you say that. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about is why you think so many people misinterpret a calling. Like, why do we end up in jobs we hate, things we can't stand doing, things we're not good at? Like, how is it that we miss what it might be? Um, I think we might be desensitized to the life experiences that would, uh, I think, designate that, that would sort of show that. Um, for me, the, and it's been hard. I mean, I've had times where, you know, I've been depressed and like, not, not sure of like my place. And it, it took me a long time to kind of get my sea legs and, and sort of find the confidence to, to go out and stand up for the work that I've been creating or the work that I wish to create, or just to even be in the room with folks that came from a different background that, you know, a different household with, you know, different history and, and whatnot. Um, 
it took a bit, like it definitely took a while for me. Um, but the one thing that I was always thankful for was that like, I never really doubted the fact that I wanted to make art and creativity was my language. And again, I wouldn't know who I was even growing up through, through high school. Like, you know, I went to, uh, I was in sort of in junior high school in down South Florida, Miami, but then uh, I went to high school in central Florida and, and it, I went to high school with uh, just a wide range of kids, kids that were affluent from sort of like rich backgrounds to like, you know, kids from, I grew up in like a mixed neighborhood with like, you know, a little hood, you know, a little hood rat stuff running around. I was getting into trouble, but like, I was always the artist. I, I got caught for doing graffiti and then like, you know, the calligraphy led into me doing tagging and like writing, you know, graph in the streets. And then like, but I was always like really good in art class. And I was in, uh, fortunate to be placed in this gifted program at the time to where I was smart enough to kind of get away with doing okay in school when I attended, but like I, art was always my thing. And, and I think the people, my friends around me kind of looked at to, to me for that or, and that was like part of my identity and it, it's just always stayed that way. So I'm fortunate that that has always been there for me with other friends that I've had. And, and let's say, you know, everybody has those high school friends that, that are, are, are kind of, that they struggle to kind of find that. I think um, a lot of those things, again, comes down to, it's a confidence, it's a desensitization, that's a hard word to say, uh, being desensitized to, uh, to uh, these instances in our life that, um, that can actually guide and lead us to continuing that path and, and trajectory to following our calling. Um, I think those things happen for many personal reasons, but overall, I think we're taught to value very specific sort of uh, demarcating factors of what success is, and and those are varied. And I think you know, uh, James Victoria had mentioned this idea of like you know people valuing the car, the house, and the fat wallet, um, and people I think work backwards from that rather than working. Uh, from something fresh and from something honest and, and sort of humble. Um, you know, Mike Del Ponte had mentioned, you know, uh, having meditation is something to where that he would start and sort of really try and, and, and go into a deep dive of like, okay, what's core and what's sort of valuable to my own experience? Like what, what is the thing that resonates with me most? And uh, how do we, how do we tap into that? And, and that's where one finds a calling. Like he was mentioning, you know, writing down and even in his own spiritual faith, which I'm, I have my own faiths and my own beliefs and my own spirituality. It's something for me very private, but it's always been something that's been a part of my work and a part of my family. And, you know, we, we pray and we uh, have our own sort of sense of communion and whatnot. But if you can sort of at least uh, allow for a quiet to sort of sit in and think really about what you want to do, not just like what you want to have. I think that's when you can kind of tap into it. Um, and I think we live in a society, for me, I would say the ubiquity of media, the ubiquity of content, uh, the access to just the, again, the imagery of, of the portrayal of person's lives, these things that everybody seeks to be aspirational. Uh, it's confusing. And I think People, they just see that and they're like, I want that without really understanding why they want it, nor 
how they can go about getting it. Um, so we know a lot of you have been listening to us for years, and it means the world to us. What we do here at The Unmistakable Creative wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. If the podcast has been valuable to you, one of the best ways you can support us is to subscribe to Unmistakable Creative Prime, which gives you access to transcripts, all of our courses, monthly coaching calls, live chats with our guests, and an incredible community of creatives. And it costs less than you spend on a cup of coffee every month. For the school teachers and people in our education system, Prime is completely free to help you with this transition to teaching online. We've packed it with a ton of value and actionable content, and we hope you'll check it out. Just go to unmistakablecreative.com slash prime to learn more. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash prime. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. I've been uh, listening to Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, and I've listened to it over and over again. And one of the more interesting parts of it is where he talks about dopamine and how uh, they've done studies where people who use Facebook extendedly actually tend to become depressed because their perception of their life in comparison to everything they've seen uh, makes their life seem worse than it actually is. And I think that that is one of the most insidious things about this sort of world that we live in where everybody has a personal brand and everybody is able to do all these things. And of course, everybody is up to something uh, far more epic than you are, which I've said a thousand times. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, but but when we look at it from just a, a pure biological and evolutionary standpoint, it's actually quite disturbing. Yeah. I could like when I looked at what that did to people's brains and how, you know, my daily login to Facebook, like every time somebody clicks like is just a dopamine hit and it's incredibly addictive, but it actually provides no lasting value made me really start to examine the the value of the relationships in my life. And I, I began to wonder, I'm like, wow, am I giving more time to my virtual relationships than I am to the real ones? It's, it's insane. Uh, not only with sort of professional life and endeavors, but even with sort of with emotional relationships, with significant mm-hmm. others, it's this idea that, um, you know, I was reading that the, the first big revolution in, uh, in sort of matrimony and sort of in, in courtship, uh, that happened, uh, sort of in, in the Renaissance or in, during agrarian culture, when, we moved from being nomads on the plains, sort of hunters, hunters and gatherers, to having a stationary city-state or town with which you would have a communion of people at your at, at access in proximity, uh, rather than just sort of a tribal group that you existed within. You had a wider selection. The next great revolution uh, has been the advent of the internet, where we're connecting people virtually, and beyond that. Uh, we're now sort of seeing them and experiencing them virtually and we're seeing everybody's highlight reel. Mm -hmm. We're seeing everybody's uh, good side. And, uh, and it is, it it, it is something that's very disorienting. And I, I honestly, like right before this, I'm probably on Facebook, like posting something, uh, (laughs) a a throwback Thursday. I'm about to do a throwback Thursday. And like, it's just like, we, it's, it's hard to divorce oneself because we can, I think, uh, somebody like yourself, I mean, it's part of your job. Uh, I think it's part of your, I I would say acumen in relating to people and for you having conversations with folks out there doing wonderfully interesting things. Um, and, and it's a tool. Mm -hmm. And I think one has to be careful with, uh, what one does with those tools and, but it, it is, it does have a detriment and, and there are scientific, uh, scientific studies for sure. And, and I don't really know or 
sort of pretend to have the answers. But I do know that like it's something that I think affects a great number of folks adversely. And it's interesting because we're in the middle of it. We're, we're in the midst of it. We're in the midst of, I think, you know, social media and, and its sort of advent and pervasiveness. You know, it's something that is reaching a certain percentage of the world. But, you know, I forget what the studies say in terms of how many people are yet to be really connected to the internet, what happens when like, you know, 80% of the world is connected mm-hmm. and then we all start living our lives, uh, through avatars and online, like not to be like sort of futurist here, but like, what does that do to then people's desires and their wants and needs and hopes? You know, how does that sort of change and shift things? Um, I, I, I honestly think like, uh, for my generation, you know, seeing, kind of being at the outset of that, like MySpace and stuff, uh-huh. uh, you know, it was for me at the time, like a place to post animated GIFs and like whatever. And, uh, and then now it becomes with like Snapchat and, you know, Periscope and like all this other stuff, it becomes, you know, again, a tool to maybe broadcast your life. And then hopefully, you know, as for me, somebody that's kind of a public figure and an artist, to kind of broadcast what I'm up to, mm-hmm. but, um, it's a dangerous thing because again, it, what is that detracting from the rest of your life? Like, you know, how is this sort of taking away from the moment moments that one could be experiencing for me living in New York city, like the original social media platform, you know, it's New York. You know, yeah. like, I live in Chelsea. I can walk outside and like, somebody's got a story. I'm a, I'm two blocks away from the Chelsea hotel you know, where like Burroughs was at and, you know, uh, Sid killed Nancy or whatever. Like it, it's, it's, it, this place has history and, um, you know, and I'm probably inside like messing around on Tumblr, looking for <laughs> memes like Pepe memes and cat memes. And, you know, instead of like walking outside, it's, yeah. uh, it's for sure. It's, it's an interesting thing. So one of the things we've talked about a little bit is sort of the risk involved in pursuing a calling or a path that is creative. Do you think that this capacity for risk to be able to handle the uncertainties and the nonlinearity of such a path is something that is inherently built into certain people? Or do you think that it can be cultivated and learned? Um, I would like to think the latter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love where this is going already. You know, like, but... I don't, I think, again, we live in this, uh, in a culture, especially I would say, uh, in America where uh, sort of a person's median experience can be relatively pleasant. It's not to say that there, there aren't persons without hardships here in, in America, but it's certainly when you look at, uh, you know, countries in sub-Saharan Africa or, you know, parts of, uh, mainland China, even, or certainly uh, South and Latin America, uh, Central America. I mean, it's, it's, it's rough out there, you know? And, um, here again, this sort of cultural, uh, of kind of exceptionalism where everybody, it can be the, the latest and greatest and the best and like the next, like the next Kanye and like the next, you know, whoever, I don't know. Um, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous thing. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's hard to, to kind of see, but I, I think, I think certain people, 
uh, with the advent of their background, uh, hopefully upbringing, hopefully their, their stability at home, even, or even their own sort of, uh, you know, stick to like their own sort of gumption for the, for corny, cheesy word, mm-hmm. uh, like those, those people are going to make it. And, you know, I think there's others that take a little bit more coaxing and maybe a little bit more like polish in terms of maybe they need to go through like uh, the, the linear path of like, you know, having that uh, education as a badge that they can wear on their sleeve to kind of hold their head up high and have that confidence to kind of tackle the day and be, you know, be in those rooms. Um, it, it, I think it comes down to confidence a lot. And then I think at the end of the day too, there's some folks that won't, just won't do that. And they don't need to do that. And mm-hmm. not everybody needs to be a Richard Branson, like you, or else everybody would just be in outer space already. Or like, you know, it's, I think, you know, it's not to say that anybody's life is less, you know, of, of lesser value because they are, you know, a single mother working 50 hours a week to put food on a table. Like that life is no less meaningful than, you know, somebody with like 300,000 followers posting like, you know, selfies in the bathroom all day, (laughs) you know, it's like that, you know, those lives are, aren't to be valued, I think by metrics and like social media. So it's like, I think, uh, again, it's, it's our value system. That's, that's that question. And I think even, even in the artist realm, you know, I, I, I I think I kind of, maybe I'm a little myopic in the way I, I look at things. Cause it's always through the lens of kind of like visual context and communication that I kind of see things. I'm very interested kind of socially at how they roll out and how they affect the, the kind of larger psyche and, and how the larger psyche kind of affects me and my own process and thoughts. But like, I think, uh, you know, I think not everybody can be successful. I, I'm not sure they should be. I think everybody should be happy and pursue happiness and hopefully, um, find fulfillment but that doesn't necessarily mean that like they each need to, you know, be on the cover of time magazine or whatnot. So in your own work, uh, what have been sort of the big sort of letdowns and failure and, and sort of, uh, moments when things have fallen apart, like the rock bottom moments and, and what have you learned from them and how have they, how have they impacted, uh, you know, your work and, and everything that you're up to? Good question. <laughs> Uh, the main thing for me, which was uh, a turning point in my career, which uh, at this point in uh, looking in hindsight to something that happened uh, just under four years ago, about three and a half years ago, I had been running a creative agency here in New York City, which was something that I had just kind of gotten out of uh, starting as an intern, um, as I'd gotten out of Pratt. Um, you know, I did a couple internships, a couple jobs. You know, I, I went to school for fashion and communication design. When I went to art school, I, I had started in, in Florida um, apprenticing with uh, two really wonderful painters, um, a Syrian-born uh, woman uh, painter, figurative painter, a Rima Jabor, and another uh, sort of classically trained, like abstract expressionist artist, uh, Jackie Otto Miller, like I swept the floor, stretched the canvases, you know, uh, clean the brushes in order to get taught. And then that was like what kind of built my portfolio that got me into Pratt and all the, the other art schools. And, but Pratt gave me the scholarships that, that I needed to go. It was the only way I could really go to school there. But my parents, they were like, 
behold, like, you know, if you're going to do this, you got to choose something that you can get a job at. So they wanted me to do architecture. I didn't really have interest in that. And I was like, well, I dig fashion. And then I'm like good on the computer because I'm a nerd. So I was like, I'll do design, whatever that is. And, uh, but uh, coming out of school there, I interned for, um, a great, uh, design agency graphic havoc for a bit. And then I went into this other place, which I'll leave off the record. Um, and, and then ended up working up my, my way with this guy and, uh, became business partners in this venture. And then that all went terribly wrong four to five years later. Uh, this person proved to be like, just, it, it was the classic, like crazy business partner thing. Like police are involved, threats are made. I'm like, I'm, you know, I don't know what I'm, somebody who's much older with more money and like better legal resources, like is attacking me. And I'm trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with like with life? I'm just trying to get out of this with, you know, the the skin on my back, basically. Um, It was, and it's still, I mean, it's something that I'm still dealing with to this day, but it's something that at the time I couldn't imagine that somebody could be that evil after having worked alongside somebody for that long. And it really kind of uh, hardened me in my, my, my outlook on, on people in general, just because I always say in, in most interviews that I do, like I'm only here and I've only been able to achieve what I've achieved by, you know, via the strength of the people around me and the people that have believed in me and given me an opportunity. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot from that experience and I'm, I'm still learning from it. And, and it's still something that has repercussions for me today. But that, I think that failure to spot that, I think um, that sort of danger or sort of uh, malicious intent in somebody, like it's somebody, it's something that gives me pause now when I, when I go into working with somebody um, at this point. I think it's a tough lesson to learn. And it's a, it's a very sort of New York lesson. Hmm. Like, you know, you, you you put your all into something, you put your eggs in one basket, you know, you roll the dice and put all your money on black or whatever. And you never know. And when, when, when somebody's trying to short you, not pay you, like pull the wool over your eyes and then threaten, you know, threaten you and, and all this stuff, like it's a, it's a hard thing to believe at first and then even harder to kind of deal with, uh, logistically, um, and that, that had been really tough. So that was a tough lesson to kind of, to, to practically learn. And, you know, the proverbially, as they say, as one door closes, the other one opens. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the case with this. Like, as I left, this person was somebody that had, was really great at burning bridges. And uh, it was, you know, the, the design and fashion industry, especially in New York, is a very small one. So it was, I had learned basically that, you know, this was somebody that had really become kind of despised in that. And so that had actually been hindering me from a lot of opportunities because people were like, well, you know, Lex, we love you and everything that you're doing creatively to kind of define this. But like, we don't, we're, can't work with you because like this guy's crazy. So I was able to kind of get out of that and then sort of opportunities really just came to me. And the people that I had forged relationships with over the years through this business, like they, they really believed in me and were like, you know, we want to help you out. Like, let's, let's work on this or let's work on that. Um, but man, it was like, it was 
devastating on so many levels. Like it, it was a feeling that you get that sort of wrench in your stomach. Uh, it's like, it's like, uh, uh, what, what's, what's the guy's name um, from Arrested Development, the Michael Sarah's character. Like there's a gif of him just like, like laying down on the floor face first on the carpet mm-hmm. and just giving up. Like it was that feeling just like, uh, giving up on everything and just be like, what, what's the next move? And then, and then an email comes in and then it's like Kanye West even emailing me in all capital letters is like, yo, it's Kanye West. I love your work. Let's do some stuff. And then it's like, all right, cool. Let's go work on some stuff with projects with him and other opportunities with like other major corporations and brands. And, and, and that really kind of helped me get back on my feet in many regards um, and, and keep it moving. And that's, you know, I think it's always about keeping it moving and having faith in yourself. And if somebody does attack you and, and somebody does sort of, you know, try to really come at you to destroy you professionally, even personally, as in, as in this case, um, you know, maintain your composure or just, or, you know, look, look to those. I mean, for me, I look to my parents, they couldn't help me financially or legally or anything, but at least they were there to like console me and like give a type of wisdom and advice that um, I think one's family can only give or, or those really near and dear to you can only give. Um, but, you know, that's, that's definitely for me kind of the, the biggest kind of dark spot in the last years. And, and, and again, just trying to keep it moving and, and, and keep that faith and, and just look towards what's ahead and, and not what is sort of behind Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Why is it you think that some people grow in moments like that and others don't? Um. I, again, like I, I go back to the people around you. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really know anybody that had been through something like this. And if it, if they did, it, it, it hadn't been to sort of the egregious nature of what had happened to me. But again, at times you don't need somebody to tell you step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this. If, if they're just giving you, this energy and a warmth and uh, consoling you in a way that is encouraging. I think that alone can sort of lend one the strength to try to figure it out, you know? And and I think for me, much of what I do is is problem solving. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, art in many ways is a process of decision-making and, uh, and for me, like I, I, every day it's about problem solving. And, uh, and I think I, 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 that's just something that I've learned. And it's the only reason I'm here because, uh, I, I think, um, it takes that to be able to work at a certain level as much as one would like to say, well, I, art with artists, I think everybody's practice is different. I think there, there are some artists that just kind of create out of this wellspring of, of like candy sugar canes and like hallucinogenics or whatever. <laughs> like, I am very much like, I know what I want to make. It's all in my head and it keeps me up at night. And I try to figure out how to manifest those things. And a lot of that stuff is like logistical and pragmatic and again, problem solving. Um, but uh, yeah, for a lot of folks, I think it becomes a matter of confidence. It becomes a matter of sort of self-doubt, maybe a lack of support. Um, and it's not easy. I mean, and it's, and it's definitely not easy in New York. I mean, it's not easy anywhere, but you know, New York is a, is a tough city. It's not cheap here. The weather changes on a dime and, um, it takes a tough breed to, to kind of be here and flourish. And, um, as, as cheesy as the maxim is, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it means a lot. It means not only you can make stuff happen professionally. It also means if you can deal with all the hustlers and, you know, tricks and thieves out there that are, that are there preying on everybody here with a dream. Mm. Um, 
it's a very real thing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, as I'm listening to you say that, I can't help but think of, of something that has happened for us recently. Uh, you know, there's this idea, I think, that we have in our heads that when we reach a certain level of success, that there won't be any more problems. And, uh, you know, the more that we've grown as an organization and the bigger projects that we have taken on, the more I'm realizing how untrue that is. Uh, the nature of the problems changes, but they're always going to be there. Right. Which I, I just, I'm blown away by that. And I think that going through what you have, I think is really, you know, people say, how do you develop the capacity to handle these high stress situations? I I think it, it's by going through them. Yeah. I, I really do. I don't think there's any sort of, you know, mindset or, you know, self-improvement mind fuck that you can do to yourself right. that will allow you to navigate these situations. Yeah. Uh, it honestly comes from experiencing them firsthand. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. Well, as, as uh, the great Puffy says, more money, more <laughs> yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, 100%. I think in, in, in part, uh, you know, the, the, my, I guess like MO has been with work, bite off more than you can chew uh-huh. always. Um, also, I think there's a naivete in the way I sort of pres- like go after things where I'm just, I, I sometimes don't know what I'm getting into. Like, um, uh, I had gotten into, I was offered uh, just a year and a half ago, almost two years ago to direct my first short film, uh, for the BBC and channel four in the UK. And I had never so much as like shot a movie on an iPhone. Like I, I knew nothing about film. My favorite movies are like Step Brothers with John C. Riley and Will Ferrell and like Tron and all the Lord of the Rings. And so, like, I'm not, like, a movie buff. I don't know, like, you know, French New Wave or whatever stuff. Um, But, like, I got into it. It was the hardest experience in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I made it through a year later. Took a year to make, like, seven minutes of film. Mm -hmm. But then we won a bunch of awards, Vimeo staff pick. I learned so much from it. And now it's, like, a part of my practice. With the stuff with with my ex-business partner, like, I didn't know, I didn't know how to do it. All I knew is I had, or how to get through it. All I knew is I had to get through it. And like, it was either, it was either my parents were like, you know, like we don't want you there in that city. Like it's not safe. This guy's threatening you. It could be like, it could get really bad. It's not worth like, you know, your life, your well, your well being. And, um, they're like, you should move back. And I'm like, I can't do that. You know, like I had other stuff going on. I'm like, I'm not going to let one person chase me out of, of this city with around, you know, within which I have people that I love, um, and, uh, a relationship at the time and like break, breaking that up. Like, and it was just a matter of having to go through it. And, mm-hmm. uh, that comes with, I guess, time and age and, and experience. And, um, yeah, those problems don't go away. Success doesn't sort of negate those things. It, it, if anything amplifies them, mm-hmm. I think the only thing it, it can provide hopefully is the means with which to deal with them. Right. Um, and, and, you know, for me, like now looking back, like I, I look at the team that I have around me that I'm really fortunate to have people working with me on like business development and like, you know, public relations and, and like communicating the projects that I'm doing now, like fashion collections that I'm launching in Tokyo and, and exhibitions that I'm planning for Art Basel in Miami in a few months, which I'm stressed about. But like, you know, I, I have faith that, 
it'll happen and at least something will happen. Uh Uh, and it's, it's because I've been through the other stuff and then I've, I've, I've at least seen that, you know, or I've, I've done enough to where I'm just fortunate again for the people that are around me that have, have believed in me enough to give me an opportunity. And I've just really done my best not to, not to mess them up. And, and a lot of times, um, you know, my, my mom, I was just talking to her and she's like, I was telling her, you know, well, I'm so lucky that I never really know what's, I have a sort of a roadmap for the next, you know, six months or so of like projects that I know that are coming out, but then it's, you never know, like when you wake up, what email you're going to get and like, you know, who's reaching out. Um, and I'm fortunate that like a lot of people that I work with, they'll come back to me and she's like, you know, that's like, that's the best thing. Like when you, it shows that, you know, you, you put trust in somebody, they trust you and that experience is, is worthwhile enough for them to come back to you. And, uh, and that's what it is. I mean, for me, like, I try to be that type of person. I really, I love being around people, you know, being an artist can very much be a a solitary pursuit. Um, and I, I get energy and, and inspiration from being around folks. And, you know, I, I think with, with you and what you do and the conversations of of people that you, you have, uh, that you're in with, um, you know, those are, those are sources of inspirations for, you know, thousands upon thousands of people beyond that, you know? So it's, it's great to share that because I think in these sorts of conversations, which long form, I think they are had too far and in, in, in too few and far between these sorts of uh, conversations. Mm. Um, there's great value to be extracted from them. And, you know, I, I, I lament in uh, social media a bunch. I mean, it certainly has its place and I, I can't sort of poo poo the, the fact that it is sort of reshaping the landscape of art, uh, and the art industry. But, um, you know, I, I say that I work much better in IRL than URL. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, for me really, again, just the, the, the things that I've been able to accomplish and achieve have come from, you know, the proximity that New York has afforded me, the friends that I've been able to make around the world. And that has come from just like, going out there and meeting folks and like putting a smile on and like, just, just try to be genuine and and listen to people like, um, ask questions like, you know, that, that goes such a long way. Um, I think that's of of great value. Man, you're just packing this with lots of nuggets. Uh, one (laughs) of the things that you had mentioned earlier that I want to actually talk about and do a, a deep dive into for the rest of our conversation is this notion of a creative identity. And I'm really curious how people start to find what theirs is. That's great. Um, I think it's, I think it's tough. I think for some, uh, and I just recently had an experience with, uh, someone that like, I think a creative, creative identity becomes something that is created. It is, uh, not fabricated, but it is something that's calculated. And I think there are, you know, just as, uh, Mike had mentioned in his about friends that would keep that were looking to start businesses. They would keep journals with ideas of like, okay, a business idea day. Uh, they are looking at who VC firms are funding. They're looking at what areas of research are sort of trending and what's of like topic online or, or, or like, you know, what's, what's sort of on the tongues of people speaking at the, the next big conference. Um, and I think also, Creatively speaking, I think there are those that do the same things, those that sort of are amazing curators of 
of imagery on Pinterest, of, you know, Tumblr feeds and Instagram timelines. And they are able to kind of look at those things and see like, hey, what works? Like what imagery is getting the most likes? Uh, what color palette is the most striking now? Like where can I put my art for the most visibility? And they can form like, like create a formula um, and speak to that and do it to a level that I think resonates. And then from there, build a, build an identity. Um, and that's fine. And I think that's, that's a lauded skill. I think that's something that, um, it, it has its place. You know, I think, uh, I've been looking at this really amazing article that, um, the gentleman's came out in the Atlantic just like six months ago. Um, the art, the name of the article is the death of the artist and the birth of the creative entrepreneur. Uh, it's a piece that's written by William Dariswitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, great article. And it, and it talks about this idea of where we exist now, where the idea of an artist itself has changed. Um, and I think that's where, that's where I think people find, well, I think there are artists out there, myself included, that might take issue with Instagram artists and folks that are building a business off of a, a, a trope, off of, let's say, you know, a step and repeat uh, applique of like, hey, I'm an artist and I draw squiggly lines or like, hey, I'm an artist and I do colorful shapes. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm an artist and I do, you know, like uh, nude pics or whatever. Um, like they find that they repeat it ad nauseum. They create a very monotone and um, balanced sort of feed to where if somebody, uh, a viewer comes over and visits and like within three flicks of the thumb, they can sort of get uh, an idea of what that is. You know, I, I feel like um, they can understand and easily digest what that palette is or what the intent of that artist might be if there even is an intent i mean art doesn't have to have any intention to it but um that's the situation in which we live but this article talks about you know the definition of artist has changed where uh the idea for us of what an artist is and one's identity is we still think to a concept that originated sort of in in the renaissance where you know pre-renaissance the, the artists were craftspersons. Uh, the root word for art is to join or to make. And, you know, uh, before there was a Michelangelo or Da Vinci or, or a Lombardi, whomever, like, uh, they, artists were craftspersons. They were artisans. They were, you know, work, highly trained, skilled workers. Um, but then there became sort of the idea of artists as celebrity. And I think that's after... Dali and, and Picasso and uh, Kahlo and, and Warhol and all these folks, you know, this idea of artist as guru, as sort of like lone poetic voice uh, of a generation or whatever, like, uh, and as celebrity, um, that's very much shaped the pursuit of what it is to be creative. I think uh, a lot of times, and very much so now, there are folks going after celebrity using art. Uh, and I wouldn't say art, I would, well, not my definition of it, but like, I think using creativity in a way to craft an entrepreneurial business and at the same time gain notoriety and celebrity. Um, so 
I think that there becomes there there are sort of different avenues with which people can kind of pursue what the idea of a creative identity is. I mean, I think for somebody like myself, I I again go back to that it's a calling and. I remember my teacher, uh, Rima Jabor, again, she was Syrian-born, had emigrated to this country. She asked me what I was going to do when I was leaving to go to school. And she's like, you should do fine art. And I'm like, ah, I "I want to. Like, my parents don't want to let me do that. Like, you know, it's too risky or whatever. And she's like, well, she's like, you'll know because if you want to do art, there's nothing else you can do. You have no choice but to do that. And... And it's true. Like, I mean, I'm, I've always done it and maintained it as part of my practice. I've made a living balancing both. And for me, I'm actually inspired to strike the balance between sort of these amazing commercial opportunities for me to design my own collections or my own shoes or my own uh, uh, interiors and, and home goods and, you know, creating imagery for the CFDA awards and collaborating with, you know, Kenzo and other fashion brands and music artists I am super inspired by the breadth of opportunity that I'm offered and the challenges that I'm able to tackle, like whether I know what what I'm doing or not. Uh, It's like the work kind of speaks for itself afterwards, but it all came from a very sort of innocent and I don't know, like a almost just like a naive place. Um, And so my identity is again, one that I can't even divorce from my own sense of self where I think for others, their identity comes from maybe they are they can they can portray something it could be like a lady gaga who whatever she is like you know it's a performance thing as much as it is an art thing and and you know there's there's dialogue for both but um i think for everybody there's there's a different avenue and a different way to to reach that and I don't know if I can say who's right or who's wrong. I don't think there is that question. I just think that the definitions of, of how we are looking at these things are changing and they're changing rapidly because of how technology as an overlay is affecting it, how people are consuming creative content in, in, uh, in creative cultures, um, how brands are becoming the, the modern day patron saints of the arts, how, you know, basically there's very little academic and sort of uh, national infrastructure that supports artists. Um, it's, it's hard for, it, there's another quote that, you know, art is for the uh, inherently wealthy or the eternally destitute. Uh, that in that, like, there's been very little middle ground between artists and their professional careers. And, you know, it's hard for an artist to make a living and, and it's, it's hard for an artist to make like a middle-class like living. It's either like you're willing to, be broke as hell out in Bushwick living in like some dusty loft with like eight other artists, uh, for, you know, to sacrifice for the work or you're, you know, somebody that comes from a wealthy background and is, is just able to go at it no matter what, or you're somebody in the middle that's kind of working professionally with alongside of brands. And that's completely viable in, in sort of the, the new sort of, uh, I think, sort of a new trajectory and a new plan for, for the way that, that art is existing in, in, in our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely, I feel all in all, we're, we're at sort of a, a, a very sort of apex sort of change uh, for, for what art is, how we relate with it. And furthermore, how the people that are creating it uh, exist and, and, and how they communicate all that stuff. Mm. Man, that was amazing. Uh, <laughs> So I have two last questions for you. Yeah. 
you know, you mentioned getting to work with sort of iconic artists like Kanye West. And the question that raises for me is what have you learned about mastery um, and performing at such a high level uh, by being exposed to an artist like Kanye? Um, uh, that's a good and difficult question. I think he's a, he's an example. I, uh, another friend is the, uh, some somebody I've known since I was a teenager. I was like 16. Uh, my guy Diplo is another producer who's, who's amazing. And I, I designed his first album cover, Florida. Like I've done artwork with them for years. Matt Deason. He's somebody I'm still friends with to this day and work with. Um, I mean, that's, that's music. I think that's an example. I think I wish I had better, more diverse examples kind of in art or architecture or, or in technology. But um, in terms of mastery, I think it's, it's a little bit about luck. Um, I think it's, it's about an intuition at times. I think, uh, you know, it's about, I think being in tune and confident enough or, whimsical enough to kind of deal with and roll with the punches of, of, of an industry that's inherently difficult in regards to music. Um, but mastery, um, it's a difficult thing. It's something that takes years and years of work and, uh, a whole bunch of hustle to, to, to get to that point. You know, I mean, um, with, with Kanye, I mean, he would always, I give him the credit of, uh, whether those persons are able to kind of, uh, exist outside of his shadow. Um, he'd always bring a really great team around him. And there was definitely a lot of cooks in the kitchen that sometimes spoiled the broth like, to quote that, uh, the uh, internet video, but like, uh-huh. um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, in, you know, famously that quote is, uh, you know, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Uh, you know, I give credit to that. I think, you know, these guys are persons that value at least having these people around them and understand maybe even more so than, than I had, uh, at the time, you know, building relationships with like other people and being magnetic enough to attract them and, and hold their attention and I guess gain their trust and faith. I think celebrity and that stuff lends a lot to it. And I think it's a very sort of exponential growth to like when you build that within music, I think, you know, certainly once you achieve a certain level of visibility, it's like, Oh, let's go. Mm -hmm. I think in other industries, it's much, much harder because there's, you know, I, I still maintain that like, well, in art, uh, it's a very, it's a very private experience. Like I think music is something very communal. It's something that's shared in an environment that is conducive to people meeting other people. It's, it's a concert, it's a club, it's, it's, a, it's a memory that's made. It's something that's shared, uh, amongst many people where, you know, if you go to a gallery exhibit or you see an image online, this is something that's typically like sort of processed by oneself. And it's, you know, you think to, uh, if you were to ask like your average teen now, like, you know, who are like the biggest like music artists out? And then you ask them like, who are the biggest like contemporary artists, visual artists out? It's like, you're going to get completely different answers. You know, I think it's, I think people can't really relate uh, just 
visual art, I think, resonates at a different level. I think it, it resonates at, at, at a sort of slower wavelength and a slower frequency than music does. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of like kind of mastering those things are, are, are much are different. Um, you know, for me, I always say that like, I'm in this for the long run, you know, this is something that like, I, I again, don't know how to live without it or be without it. And for me, um, I don't know if there is a definition of mastery for, for what I wish to do. I, I think there, are, I, I only wish to be able to, I think, manifest all the ideas that I have in my head before I have to leave this planet. You know, I think there's, there's a wealth of, of things that I would love to do. And I, I just hope to be kind of afforded the opportunity to do those things and to share those things. Um, but that's not guaranteed. And I know that, and I, I only try to work, get up and, and work and, and push and do the best that I can so that I can, can hopefully make that stuff happen and, and make a, make a decent life out here. Hmm. Wow. Well, this has been awesome. So I have one last question, uh, which is how we finish. Every uh, thank interview. You, I, pre- I appreciate it. Uh, at the unmistakable creative, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Them being themselves. Um, I, I think, uh, once you tune into whoever you are, and I think if you are unafraid to be the person that you feel you are without sort of pretension of fitting into an idea of a norm or to placating somebody's uh, sort of uh, imposed trajectory for you or uh, I don't know. Uh, when, when you're willing to kind of expose yourself, be yourself, um, and, and stand up and kind of be an individual when it doesn't feel right to be an individual, you know, when it doesn't feel right to fit in, you know, to, to, when you feel like you don't fit in the room and you're okay with that and, um, and you have trust and faith in, in who you are and where you come from and, and the people behind you. Um, I think that's what, what makes them be unmistakable. Um, cause you can't deny that. I think regardless of where that puts you in the world, like you gotta, you gotta recognize that. And I think that's, that's something that I always find that I appreciate in folks is that when they're genuine, when they're humble, when they're not sort of, um, but besides themselves, regardless of their accomplishments and achievements, uh, and, that's, that's, that's rare. And I, 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 you know, somebody again, like Mike Ponte, I, I value his friendship greatly because, you know, he's somebody I, I feel that, that has that. And, and, uh, it, it's great to, to resonate with those kinds of folks because the energy is always there. The vibes are always good. And, and, uh, and that's few and far between. And so you find those people, you hold on to them and you try and grow together. But, uh, definitely, I think that, that, that makes somebody unmistakable. Well, this has been incredible. Uh, really, one of my favorite conversations. Uh, I mean, you just packed it with so many inspiring stories and nuggets, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share uh, your story. Enough. Absolutely, my pleasure. It's, it's an honor. I can't even begin to tell you uh, the folks that you've talked to. I, I'm, I'm just uh, honestly honored and honestly totally nervous to have done this. But um, I thank you again for taking the time to talk, and, and uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. 
Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Melina, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes just like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, welcome to the Next Wave Podcast. Consider us your chief AI officer in your business. My name is Matt Wolf. I have the number one YouTube channel in the AI space. I also run futuretools.com and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Lands, founder of lore.com. We wanna bring you the latest AI news and trends, show you how you can use AI in your business and personal life and help make it super easy for you to understand and execute. We're gonna equip you with the knowledge to thrive in this upcoming wave of change. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.